Welcome to Union Chapel this morning. Very happy we didn't get that snow. I, I don't know how you're dealing with that. I, usually we take, we take the bullet, right, in Muncie. I don't know how that works out, but we, we missed it this time, and I'm happy about that. I hope you're excited about it as well. Welcome to Union Chapel. This is actually um, uh, my, uh, Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. And as Pastor Jeff said, on Friday this week, we're going to have from 11 in the morning till 7 p.m. a come and go over in the sanctuary, green, the green entryway, and it will be very meaningful to you. I hope that you can take advantage of that. As he mentioned, bring some friends with you to do that. It should be a lot of fun. Today we conclude the series on prayer, and thank you so much for the feedback that you've given with regard to this subject. I know it's been meaningful to many, many people and today I want to tackle a subject that is pertinent to all of us, and that is when God says no to our prayers. We've all experienced it, and we just need to lean into it a little bit and try to get as much uh, understanding and comfort, peace about it as we possibly can. So I've chosen as our text this morning from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's reminding us of the right perspective to have about life on the earth that it's temporary, and that there is, a, there is a better world ahead of us, and that is the right perspective to have, the right idea to have as you think about your prayer life. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, if not, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so I invite you to do that as you're able. Thanks so much. And the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now may God instruct us and inspire us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You know, God answers every single prayer. Every pray, prayer we pray, God answers that prayer. Now, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait, sometimes you get the, uh, you have to grow up first answer, sometimes in a little while you get the answer, but God answers every prayer. And there are great, great people of faith who have heard God say no to them. For example, Abraham heard no, Moses, Daniel, Job, Jonah, Elijah, Peter, Paul, just to name a few, all got a no to one of their prayers. Even Jesus got a no answer from the Father in prayer. You'll remember in the night of the betrayal in Gethsemane, he prayed, God, you're a great God. You can do anything you want to do. So if this cup of suffering could pass from me, please take it from me. What was God's response? No. No. Even Jesus got a no. And sometimes that can be confusing, can it? And frustrating because we want God to hear us. We need a miracle. We need God's answer. And it doesn't come. Sometimes the circumstances make it impossible for everybody to get a yes. For example, every year at the Super Bowl, people are praying. Somebody's going to get a no. It happens. You know, a political race, please let my candidate win. Somebody's going to lose. And so not everyone can get the right answer. So there are mysteries involved when we pray, and how God responds. And we're reminded from our text today that 
that life on the earth is not life that we're designed to live forever. We're not going to live here forever. And so to imagine that we're going to keep on going on the earth is not the right perspective. The, un, the seen world is temporary. The unseen world is eternal. And so it's right to have that perspective. Now here's a word of caution just before I get into this, this list of reasons God sometimes says no. That you should not attempt to comfort anyone else who's gotten a no from God with the reasons I'm about to give you. And the, the reason you shouldn't try to comfort other people with one of these reasons is because you don't know why God said no to them. You don't know. You may think you know, or maybe that's just like my no, and I think I know why God said no to me, so I'll just tell them that's why God said no to them. You don't know why God said no, so you, don't try to comfort anyone except yourself with these reasons I'm about to give you for why God says no. Do you agree? Do you make, take the pledge? Yes. You, you, you just have to be careful. Remember, Job had, Job had this horrible experience, and marauding terrorists came through, killed all of his children. Job was a very wealthy man. He was the, he was the, 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 the uh, Bill Gates of his day, the Warren Buffett of his day. And he was very wealthy, and he lost all of his children in one day. And then they burned his crops, and they took away his livestock. And then he got ill and had these horrible, painful boils all over his body. I mean, he's just reduced to an ash heap. And Job had some friends, three friends that came. And the Bible says that for seven days, the friends just sat with Job. They didn't say anything to him. They just sat with him. Listen, that's how you care for people who've been through a tragedy. That's what you do. Maybe you've heard yourself or heard someone else say, I, I just don't know what to say to people who've been through such a rough thing. Well, you don't have to say anything. Here's the best response when people have gone through a tragedy. Just go there and be there. You don't have to say anything. Just, just be present with people. And that's the best way to provide comfort. Don't try to make a rationalization or an explanation. You know, that came later for Job. It's probably because of this or that. No. So just uh, show up and then shut up. And folks will get it. Show up and hush up. And, and folks will benefit from that. So let's get into this now. Why does God say no? Here's number one. Write this down on your outline. God says no when he has a bigger perspective. Has a bigger perspective. See, God sees the wider view. God can see around the corner. He can see what's coming. And so he knows what's just ahead. Hebrews 4.13. He knows about everyone everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him. So God sees the front from the back. And so he, he can anticipate what's coming. This is why parents don't give their children everything they ask for. Because we know, gosh, if I gave them that, that's going to harm them. And so we can anticipate in a larger perspective, what's going on? God's the same way. Proverbs 2, 8. God guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Yeah, that's what he does. He protects us. Remember Daniel? Daniel in the Old Testament, he got in trouble because he was, he was praying to God. You only should pray to the king. They're in captivity. So they caught Daniel praying three times a day to Almighty God. And so they said, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to throw you in the lions, Dan. You're going to be a light snack just before dinner for the lions. How many of you know that's, that's a real threat? Yeah, that's not good. So Daniel prayed, God, will, will you deliver me from the lion's den? And God said, mm, no. No, you're going in. 
You're going in the lion's den. Oh, shoot. And so that's, bad. that's a bad day. But God had a bigger perspective. And Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, but God then closed the mouths of the lions. They had no interest in munching on Daniel. And that was a bigger deal. That was a bigger story. That was a bigger miracle. And so God had a bigger perspective. You remember there were three Hebrew children, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those three guys? And they were in captivity, and they broke the rules. And so they bound them up with cords, roped, them to, roped their hands together, and threw them into this intense furnace, heated seven times normal, normal heat. And so the, these three guys are thrown in. But then when they looked in, they saw the three Hebrew men walking around inside of this, this incredibly hot furnace. And indeed, a fourth man was walking with them who looked like the Son of God. And there's, a, there's a really great sermon in there. Uh, you can get really preachy around that. And, but for now, here's what happened. They pull these three guys out. And the only thing that was changed on the three men was the ropes that had bound them were all burned away. And the Bible says not even their hair or their clothes smelled of smoke. And they came out of there. And of course, of course their captors said, you know, your God must be God. We'll deliver you from that. Now, here's what, here's what I want to draw from that beautiful story. Is that sometimes, sometimes we pray, God, please deliver me from the fiery trial. If you haven't prayed that prayer, you will. God, please deliver me from this. Deliver me from this disease. Deliver me from this surgery. Deliver me from this divorce. Deliver me from death. And we'll pray, God, please deliver me from this fiery trial. But when the three Hebrew children prayed it, God said, no. No, you're going through that fire. And when they came out of the fire, because God sustained them and they popped out on the other side of the fiery trial, the only thing that was different was all their, their, their bindings were gone. They were free. And here's what God would promise, even though he may allow you to go through the fiery trial, when you pop out on the other side, you're going to be free from some stuff. Free from those addictions, free from that relationship, free from fear, free from guilt, free from shame, liberated by the power of God because you went through the fire. God was with you. Yeah, yeah. The Apostle Paul prayed many times he wanted to go to Rome. And you can understand his strategic idea. Rome was the center of the world at the time. And he thought, if I can just get to Rome and preach the gospel there, that would be an influential thing. And so in his mind, if I can, if I can just go to Rome, I'll rent the Colosseum and hold a big Billy Graham-like crusade and reach people for Jesus. Well, God answered Paul's prayer to go to Rome. Only when he got there, he was in chains. And they threw him in the basement of a dungeon. And there he was all by himself. He didn't have anyone to talk to about Jesus. And so what did he do with all of his free time? He said, well, I got some friends up in Philippi and up in Galatia. And, and, I, and I got some friends up in Ephesus. And so he started writing letters to all these churches in these different cities. And those letters now have become the New Testament. <laughs> now you ask me, which had the greater effect? Having a big crusade in the first century in Rome or write the New Testament? So God had a bigger perspective. He had a bigger perspective on all of this. And that's why he said no to all of these people. Here's number two. Write this down. Another reason God says no is because he has a better plan. Better plan. Isaiah 55, this plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For my ways 
are higher than your ways. Yeah, his, he's got a bigger plan. People in our culture today, they get in all kinds of financial problems and stress. And congratulations to those of you who just completed Financial Peace University last week. Uh, you are better equipped right now than you've ever been in your life to manage your finances well. But people get in trouble financially. It happens a lot in our culture. They get overextended and they get in a mess. And a lot of people, their remedy for financial problems is to go double down on lottery tickets. There's more praying around the lottery stand in convenience stores than there is in churches. Oh, God. You know, you buy five, uh, maybe five more. And you oh, God, please. Lots of people praying over lottery tickets, laying hands on them. Very devout people. But, you know, God will never answer that, that prayer. God, will you help me win the lottery? And he'll go, well, no. No, because he's a lot more interested in your character than he is your comfort. He wants you to learn the disciplines and the structures necessary to manage your life better financially. So you got to learn those things and then apply the lessons. That's how you get to a better place financially. God's not going to short circuit that. Hebrews 11 says about Old Testament saints, they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something bigger for them. And so we have these experiences. If you were honest with yourself, you would think back and reminisce about prayers that you've prayed. And I bet all of us would come to the conclusion, I thank, thank God he didn't answer that prayer. Yeah. Let me tell you a little story about Union Chapel. Uh, years ago, we started out in a little cornfield church. We had about 50 people out there in a cornfield. And then we moved to a local high school, Delta High School. We met there for four and a half years. And then we actually bought ground that we were going to build our ministry campus on just north of town here, we're 28, State Road 28 tees into 67, the Muncie Novelties there. And on that northwest corner, we bought 14 acres, and we're going to build the church out there. It was a good location. And so I said, God, we got the land, now we're going to build the church. God said, no. I said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we bought 14 acres. You know, there's some elbow room there. That'll be, it's going to be great. God said, no. I said, I knew God was confused. I said, there were... There's two state highways there. I mean, lots of good access. It'll be, it'll be really a good spot. God said, no. <laughs> so we just waited. And this facility came up. This building didn't exist at the time, but where our sanctuary is and the first main building there, um, the first hallway there, that was a car dealership, originally McCoy Ford, and it had been vacated for two or three years. The owner of the facility was a man by the name of Ted Clark, and Ted owned the, the, the property, but McCoy owned the dealership, and McCoy moved up to McGalliard, remember, where Dallin Ford is now, and, and so this whole facility was just left vacant, and the ceilings were falling in, and the roof was leaking, and the windows were busted out, and there were volunteer trees and bushes growing up in the middle of the parking lot. It was a disaster. It was a mess. And we toured it one day because it was for sale. And, you know, we were looking for building. And we toured it one day. And we stood in the middle of what is now the sanctuary. And we prayed, God, it's been interesting being in this dump. And um, thanks for not making us buy it. And the, the, I would go to God in prayer. And I would, I would, I would say, uh, um, you don't want me to buy that old car lot, do you? And, God, and I was expecting a no. 
You don't want me to buy that, do you? And he said, yeah. Well, no, I, no, I, did, I meant that car dealership, that, old, that dump. You don't want me to buy that, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get away from it. And it, so, so you hear things like that, and God is in it, and it doesn't make any sense, and it's confusing, it's frustrating. Well, we, we negotiated with Ted Clark, and we bought the place, and the circumstances made it very appealing, and so we bought it, and we knew God was in it. And a few years later, after we'd remodeled everything, and it was really amazing, Ted Clark called me one day because he'd moved to Florida. He was retired, and he came back, and he said, I'd like to see what you've done with my old building. Oh, great, come. And I gave Ted Clark a walking tour of the building. He was shocked. He was absolutely stunned. I mean, he was slack-jawed. He was gobsmacked. Can you say that? What, I need, what does that mean, gobsmacked? I don't even know. I hope it's not bad. <laughs> anyway, he was, he, was, he was really amazed. And so we went in my office. It's a beautiful space, nicely appointed. He's, you know, his eyes are just going all over the place because he can't get his mind around what's happened to the building. And he sat in my office, and he was so, he was so warm about it. Now, Ted, I, some of you maybe knew Ted Clark. He's passed on now. Ted was a, a was kind of a rough old character, you know, an old business guy, kind of rough around the edges. And, and, and so he was sitting there, and as he began to imagine what had happened to him, a thought crossed his mind, and he became very emotional. He said, I've never told anyone this story, but he said, I'm going to tell you. He said, I have two sisters. They are both Catholic nuns. And he said, and then he added, I'm not a very good Catholic. He said, I've not lived my life in a way that's pleased my sisters. And he said, for years and years and years, every time I've seen my sisters, they have said to me, Brother Ted, we're praying for you. We pray for you every day. And he said, one of the prayers, and now, then he got very emotional. I mean, he, his voice choked, and he, it was embarrassing to him to be that emotional in front of me or anybody else, I think. And he had to keep fighting back his tears. And he had to keep composing himself. And finally he said, through his tears, he said, one of the prayers my sisters always reminded me that they were praying was, we're praying, Brother Ted, that someday God is going to use you to make a difference for his plans. He broke through his emotion. He looked at me and he said, this could be the answer to my sister's prayers. And I said, I think probably it is. Isn't that a great story? That is just such a great story. But see, God has a bigger perspective. He has a better plan. He's got a different plan. He's at work in all of these things. It's, it's, it's really fun to, fun to watch it. How many of you have been to a high school reunion? Like after 10 years, maybe 20 years, you've been to the high school reunion. Everyone who's been to your high school reunion, I know one of the experiences you had, because I've done this too. When you're leaving the reunion, before you get home, you're just, you're just leaving. You're just going, you just left the party, and you're going home. You haven't gotten home yet. This thought has crossed your mind. Thank God he didn't answer those prayers I prayed when I was in high school. <laughs> Isn't that right? Because that hunk of hunk of burden love He's a big, 
fat tub of goo now with no hair. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Uh-huh. Isn't it Garth Brooks who sings the song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer? Yeah, thank God. Because he's got a bigger, he's got a bigger plan. It's, it's just better. It's a, it's a bigger perspective. It's a better plan. Now, here's a third reason God says no. And God says no when he has a greater purpose. Greater purpose. Psalm 57 verse 2 says, I cry out to God the Most High who fulfills his purpose for me. God has purpose for your life. God wants you to live on purpose. God has designed for you a meaningful, purposeful destiny for your life. And he won't even allow your prayers to mess up your destiny, your purpose. That's why he'll even take our, all of our dumb mistakes and use those in purposeful ways. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, The purpose of these troubles is to test your faith. Just like fire tests how genuine gold is. Your faith is more precious than gold. And so these are tests to our faith. God has a bigger perspective, a better plan. He has a greater purpose. That's what our text today in 2 Corinthians is about. These present troubles are quite small compared to the immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So don't look at the troubles that you can see right now. Rather, look forward to what is not yet seen. For the troubles we see now will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Let me give you some facts of life. There's some ultimate realities. Here's one of them. Listen to it. There are some things that's going to happen to you in this life you're not going to understand. Not going to understand it. You're not going to get the answer to the question. Why, God? Why this? Why me? Why now? There are things in this life that you are going to live all the way to the end of your life, and you're not going to understand why it happened. That's a fact. So yet we have to come to terms with it. Here's another ultimate reality in life, and that is there are some things about our lives that are never going to change. Never going to change. If, if, you lost, if you lost your child in death, they're not coming back. That boy is not coming back. He's dead. And that, there's nothing in the world going to change that. You're going to carry that grief all the way to the end. That's reality. There's some things that are not going to change. And here's a third thing that is absolutely true. This is a fact of life, that Almighty God will use suffering in a redemptive way in the world. He did this with Jesus. Jesus, undeservingly, was, was accused and convicted, sentenced to death, tortured, hung on a cross, suffered, and died. It's a horrible suffering. And what did God do with that? He redeemed the whole world through the suffering of his son. This is God's way. This is God's purpose. This is God's move. This is what God does. He takes the pain and the suffering that Jesus experienced and he saved the whole world. He'll take your pain and my pain, your suffering, and he will redeem that suffering. That is a reality of life. God does it all the time. We, years ago, we had a young family, and they had a teenage girl. She was 16, and she became pregnant. And it was very disappointing for the family. And this girl was in our youth group, and she was a leader in the youth group. Now she's pregnant. Disappointing. And so this family lovingly, carefully cared for this daughter, 
and made the decision together with her that they would give this baby up for adoption. And I was part of that process. I was, in, I was a legal representative of the family, and it was beautifully handled, and, and it was arranged just in a redemptive way. As a result of that disappointment, that struggle in life, this mother of this teenage girl actually designed an adoption agency. So for years here at Union Chapel, we helped broker relationships between people who needed a baby and, one, and others who wanted to, adopt, to uh, give a, a baby away. And so we, we put babies and families together. Because, and, it, and it was a result of this struggle. We've had numbers of people in our church who've suffered addiction, and they prayed, God, please take this addiction away from me. And God said, no, I'm not taking it away from you like that. So they had to go through the 12 steps, and they had to go through the recovery process, and they had to get their life in order. And so these same people who've struggled with alcohol or gambling or drugs, these sorts of things, they are now the people that God uses to help other people struggling with the very same thing. This is what God does. This is his move. God will not waste your pain. He will redeem everything that happens to you. It's a fact of life. My wife, Beth, was diagnosed with cancer 28 years ago, and she beat it the first time. She had four positive lymph nodes 28 years ago. If you, if you understand that, that pathology, you know there's no, she has no business being alive right now. And then just the la in the last couple of years, she kicked the disease in the head again. And so she, that's just what she does. That's her deal. <laughs> And, and so she's been through this. But listen to me. There hasn't been a week go by in the last 30 years when my wife or me hasn't ministered to someone who's going through a cancer journey. Over and over and over and over again, again God redeems the suffering. He redeems our pain. And that's what God will do for you. There's a song that uh, is being sung now in pop culture, Christian community, and it's one that you will recognize when you hear it. You hear it on the radio a lot, and I've asked a couple of members of our team to come and, and sing it for you, and the lyrics are very meaningful and apply well to this point I'm trying to make, so give a listen. I'm so confused Sometimes I gotta stop, remember 
remember that you're God and I am not so thy will be done thy will be done thy will I know you see me I know Thanks, guys. So good. So good. So what do you do? What do you do when God says no? Let me just give you three really brief points. We'll be done. Number one, trust that God does everything in goodness and love. You should write that down. He does everything in goodness and love. Psalm 25:10. all the ways of the Lord are loving. Psalm 8, 28, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 28, in everything God works for the good to those who love him. See, it's a perfectly appropriate way to address God by saying, I don't have to understand God's answer to my prayer in order to know that he's motivated by love. I don't have to be able to track him all the time, know all the rationale behind why he's chosen to respond to my prayer the way he has. But I can be sure of the fact that he is motivated by my good and by his love for me. And when life hands you these kinds of moments, these crossroads moments, these, these incredibly challenging moments, you'll discover that this is the greatest challenge of your life. It won't be more poignant than this. When you know what you need and God says no and it's confusing to you, listen to me, there, there's only a few responses that people make. One is that people resist it. They resist God. And they turn their back on God. You've seen it. I've seen it. It's an amazing phenomenon that people who serve God and love God are going in one direction and something happens and it throws them off and they turn their back on God and they walk away from their faith. So you can resist God's plan in your life. Another thing you can do is you can resent it. I have friends like this. You have friends like this. Uh, people that I've tried to persuade to take a step closer to Jesus and they're resistant, they're reluctant and it's because they're full of anger and bitterness and resentment toward God. And they live a miserable life because they have this ill will toward God. No, no, Greg, I, I, can't, I can't involve myself in the church. I can't involve myself in a meaningful relationship with Jesus 
because what God allowed to happen or what God did to me just wasn't right. I can't serve a God who would let that happen to me. And so they resent God and they live their life in anger and bitterness. The other option that we all have when we find ourselves at the most poignant and challenging and most difficult parts of our life, when God perhaps hasn't answered the way we want, and it's, and it's very confusing, it's very disappointing, you can actually pause and remind yourself of who God is, and you can relax in knowing that God is ultimately motivated out of his goodness and his love, that he wants the best for us. It's right then to be able to say, look, I, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand what's happening to me. This is incredibly painful, but God, where else will I go? I know that you are good and that you are working even these painful circumstances for my good and my benefit. And so I'm going to trust you and I'm going to rest in you. The second thing that I'd recommend you do when God says no is pray the same way Jesus did when he was facing the cross. Mark chapter 14, the Bible says, going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground praying that, if possible, he might not have to suffer what was ahead of him. You ever prayed that prayer? God, I don't want to go through this cancer, this surgery, this trauma, this loss, this divorce. Jesus prayed, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine, to be done. There it is. How did Jesus pray? I put it right on your outline. First, affirm God's power. Father, I know you can do anything. Second, ask with passion. Father, please give me what I ask. And the third thing is accept God's plan. However, God, your will be done, not mine. That's how Jesus prayed. That's how Jesus did it in the crossroads moment of his life. And so we're admonished to pray the same. Finally, last point, expect God to give his grace to handle his answer. God will give you the grace you need when you need it. It'll be there when you get there. God's grace, his sustaining power. The Apostle Paul apparently had a physical malady, a chronic illness of some sort. He called it a thorn in the flesh. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, three times I prayed to the Lord about this and asked him to take it away. But his answer was, no. No, I'm not going to do that. He said, my grace is all you need, for my power is greatest when you are weak. So I gladly boast about my weakness so that Christ's power can flow through me. For when I am weak, Paul said, I am strong. There's a grown-up right there. There's a guy that you can model. Job, you know, we've rehearsed his story a bit today. Job said it this way, Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There it is. There it is. I don't get it. This is painful. I don't understand. I don't know why, but I trust you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Mm -hmm. I want to conclude this morning with this poem that comes from Russell Kelfer. Russell's in heaven now, and he was a great great author, and I want to share this poem that he wrote. We'll put it on the screen for you. And he wrote, you are who you are for a reason. You're part of an intricate plan. You are a precious and perfect, unique design called God's special woman or man. You look like you look for a reason. God made no mistake. He knit you together within the womb, 
and you're just what he wanted to make. The parents you had were the ones that he chose, and no matter how you may feel, they were custom designed with God's plan in mind, and they bear the master's seal. Know that trauma you faced was not easy, and God wept that it hurt you so, but it was allowed to shape your heart so that into his likeness you'd grow. You are who you are for a reason. You've been formed by the master's rod. You are who you are, beloved, because there is a God. Will you pause and pray with me this morning? I'm going to pray in the first person today, but maybe this prayer will be meaningful to you, and you can pray it along with me in your heart. Dear God, I want to get to know you. I want to open my life to you. I want to learn to love you and trust you. I want to feel your love toward me. I don't always feel it, but I want to feel it. I want to be close to you. And God, I want your plan for my life, not, not mine. Mine hasn't worked out very well. So God, I want your purpose for my life. I want your power, your pardon for all the things I've done wrong so that I might experience your peace, your presence. And thank you for letting your son Jesus suffer for me, paying for all of my sins. And God, if you want to use the pain in my life to help others, do so. I want to be more like you. So today, as much as I know how Jesus Christ has suffered and given himself for me, I ask now that you fill me with your life, your love, your spirit. Start me on the journey or keep me on the journey to trust in you more every day. And one day, Lord, I ask that you take me home to heaven where all the questions will be answered, all the problems will be removed, all the pain will be replaced with your joy. And I look forward to that day. And I pray all of these things in your wonderful name. And all the people said, amen.